which is why I go so hard. I go in hard with the stuff that I talk about. I try to be as compassionate as possible, but I try to be consistent. And I stand firm in the fact that not, we don't have to accept what our parents did. You're listening to the Black British Parent Podcast, having conversations, sharing experiences and supporting the Black British Parent community with your host, Deborah Field Penny. Hi and welcome to part two of my conversation with June Allen about black women healing, racial intimacy and sobriety. For us as black people, you know, I think that there is so much trauma and there's so many layers to it. Mm. Because if you think about it, we've got our 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 um, healing is number one. There's three, I always tell people there's like three or four layers to this. There's mm-hmm. ancestral stuff which is the stuff that we, we're not even conscious of the trauma that our ancestors went through during chattel slavery and whatnot. So there's that, number one. Number two, there's the social stuff that we have to deal with now, mm. living under the system of white supremacy. We have to deal with, you know, going on social media and seeing our brothers and sisters getting shot and, you know, mm. all the rest of it. So there's that level, yeah, that we're having to deal with. Then there's the stuff within our families, the stuff that's internalized within our families that we keep recycling because we haven't done the internal work. So that's layer number three. And then there's the last one, number four, is how we think about ourselves, what we've internalized. Mm. So that's our negative thinking. So when, you know, when I say that this work is not easy, it's not easy. There's a lot to deal with. There is a lot to deal with. But at the end of the day, when you commit to doing this work, I, the way that I think, look at it, it's like I have to think about it for, in the sense that I know it's not going to be finished in my lifetime. There's a lot mm. of things in my lifetime that I've drawn a line under that I will, I refuse to pass that stuff on to my yep. I am not doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah? But I think it's really important to, as well, not underestimate when you're doing the healing work you don't realise how much amazing stuff that you pass on to your child without realising it. If you're doing the healing work, you're passing the stuff on to them and you don't even realise that you're doing it. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's where the power is. And also, when, you're, um, when they see you doing the healing work, it teaches them that they can learn to do it too. Whichever way that they need to learn to do it, it it's, it's okay to do that. Exactly. Exactly. And because children don't learn what they, 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 don't, they don't learn what they hear. They learn what they see. They learn mm-hmm. what they feel. You know, it's, it's, it's weird sometimes hearing my daughter come to me and tell me how she feels about certain things. And I know that she's saying these things because she's heard me speak that language. Mm. She's heard me speak the language of emotion. She's heard me speak. My daughter doesn't understand what, it, you know, when I was growing up, Obviously, you know, we used to get licks and whatever. And I've seen, you know, my peers and stuff, they, they laugh and joke about or, or talk about when they got licks. Like when my, when my, um, when I talk back to my daughter, she, she, she looks at me so confused, like, because she, she's never experienced it. Mm. She's never experienced that. So, she, and if she sees any other black children on the street or whatever getting licks or whatever or getting, up, getting upset about certain things, she looks at me as if to say, Mummy, I, I see what you mean, Mummy. Because yeah. I say to her that not, not all black families do what I do. I'm, 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 um, I'm, I'm in the minority. Unfortunately, I'm in the minority. Yeah. Which is why I go so hard. I go in hard with the stuff that I talk about. 
I try to be as compassionate as possible, but I try to be consistent and I stand firm in the fact that not we don't have to accept what our parents did. We yeah. don't have to accept that. There are there are other ways of doing this stuff without having to, you know, sacrifice our integrity or to sac- sacrifice our mental health, which is what a lot of us are doing by staying silent. Yeah. Silent, we're not gonna heal by staying silent. And and it's that thing as well, sometimes with I mean, this is not ostracizing or talking ill of people that do certain things that practically would be best for them if they didn't and their families. However, a lot of these people that are still, for example, spanking or beating their children still, it's because they don't know any other way. That's what they've yeah. been raised with. Do you know what I mean? It's not to say that, you know, you're you're such a naughty person or a bad parent or whatever not. It's just that there are other ways, but it's just knowing what those other options are. Yeah. And they do, a lot of them don't know. And I think that this is something that a lot of parents, um, and it, again, it comes down to doing the internal work because at the end of the day, you can't just say to parents, this is why I always, I always say that, you know, you can't just say, stop hitting your kids. Because if you just say, stop hitting your kids, then what? The feelings are still there. Mm. The triggers are still there. What next? Which is why, you know, when we did the wounded daughters thing, I wanted to, you know, give people a context around, um, you know, the, the history of it and, you know, why we, we do the thing, why, why, we, why we treat our children this way. And in the Wounded Daughters Mastermind that I did, which came after the actual webinar that you attended, uh. um, I did a series of, um, there was one particular workshop that I did, which was specifically around managing emotion, managing difficult emotion and what to do about it and how to understand your triggers. And I think that when parents beat their children, this is, this is just, this residue from slavery. It's residue from slavery. And a lot of parents do it because they just, they don't know anything else. And at the end of the day, that rage, they've probably got unhealed rage from their parents doing it to them. So mm. they're just recycling it. And, the thing and is- a lot of them don't want to stop. Because the thing is, if you stop hitting your kids, you're gonna, you're gonna get, you're stuck with the feelings. You got to deal with the feelings, yeah. and a lot of parents don't want to deal with the feelings about what happens if I st- don't hit my kids. And they also don't want to deal with if they stop hitting their children. They also have to deal with the feelings around what their parents did to them. Yeah, that's why they don't. That's why they don't yeah. want to stop. Yeah, I see that and I hear that. And the other thing is, I, I mean, the the thing I don't, I'm not sure if this is on the same page, wave, wavelength, but it's, what I was reading as well was that, I can't remember where I read it, but what I was reading was that the, 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 the beatings that stem from slavery was because of the African people that were forced into slavery, they didn't want nothing to happen to their children, so they used to have to beat their children so that they could get their children to conform to whatever their slave masters yeah. wanted them to do. So they were protecting their children, essentially, you know? Yeah, I get that. But then what, what that what that is, is that just ends up being white supremacy on autopilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that is. That's what I wrote. The piece that I wrote for Dr. Stacey Patton, that's what I talked about. That becomes white supremacy on auto, autopilot. We beat our children so white supremacy don't have to do it for us. And then what happens is we get, white supremacy then blames us for our own insanity around you know, how we treat our children. And they say, oh, yeah, see, look how savage yeah. black people are, not realising that actually what we're doing is a trauma response. Mm. It's a trauma response. But they can then point the finger at us and go, oh, yeah, look how violent black people are to their children and what whatnot. So I say that to say this. It's not that, you know, 
parents that beat their children are not bad people. We're just unhealed. Mm. And they don't understand, and, and you know, they don't understand that they need to do the internal work. It's not about trying to get the children to behave or ch- trying to get the children to be different. The parent has to be different. And I, I say this all the time. Parents, you know, they, they, they love to focus on, oh, well, the child is doing this and the child is doing that. So that's, that's you know, and parenting really, what I've, one of the most powerful things that I've learned as a parent and what I can empower other black parents out there, parenting is not about trying to change the child. It's about your reaction to the child and you dealing with your old triggers. Mm. Once you begin to deal with your own triggers and own what happened to you, not to blame your parents and whatever, but just to stand in the truth of it. Find a safe space to stand in the truth of what happened to you as a child. That's when your parenting is going to switch. Because at the end of the day, if, you, if you've still got those old wounds from when you were a child, uh, it's, it's going to bleed into the relationship with your daughter. It's just, it, it, you, can't, you can't have it both ways. And that's, both ways. and that's what your work does. It's all about breaking cycles, right? massively drawing a line under that like i am not doing this to my child and being willing being willing to go to any length to deal with it and i mean being able to being willing to go to any length like if i need to sit there and and sit with with the fact that you know i've got you know upset and anger towards you know people that have hurt me in my past when i was a child having to sit with my therapist and work through that stuff then that's what I'm going to do. If it means I don't hit my child because I'm willing to sit with the feelings of what happened to me, then I don't. Then it, I don't. I don't recycle it because I'm. I. I get to. I have to feel it. I have to f- not only feel it, feel the pain of what happened to me at an emotional level because obviously physically the time is gone, but emotionally this, the wound is still there. I have to grieve that. I have to feel those feelings and grieve that. So that I don't pass it on to my child. So I understand why, you know, it's not enough just to say to parents, you know, stop eating your children. It's, it's, it's such a bigger conversation. Yeah. It's and, such it's, a bigger conversation. and it's also bigger than just not passing it on to your child. Whilst that's important, once you're not passing it on to your child, then your child won't pass it on to their child and the future exactly. generations. It's a legacy thing. Yeah. It's a legacy thing, and that that is you've that is spot on for me. It, what the reason why I'm doing this work is actually not just. It's obviously yes, it's about my daughter, mm. but in a way, it's not because when she grows up, it's going to be all about attachment parenting. Because that's what I did. Yeah, same here. Same. Attachment parenting. <clears throat> um, you know, not find, finding other ways to discipline that don't hurt. Discipline. The word discipline. What I learned from Doctor Stacy Patton is the word discipline means to teach. Mm. Yeah, it's been turned into something else completely different. But the word actually means to teach. And that's what you know. That's 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 what we've we've lost. We've lost the art of having to do these things because a lot of us are just in a lot of pain. We're not black people. Are not you know, bad people in the sense that, you know, because they're beating their kids. It's just, it's pain. It's just pain that's manifested itself because we've not had the space to be able to talk about it. We're not empathetic with each other because we, we're not empathetic with each other because we're not empathetic with ourselves. 
So we, we don't give us we don't give each other the empathy and the space to be able to talk about this self, talk about it amongst ourselves. The first thing we say to each other as black people is, "Oh, stop being so emotional. You're emotional. Stop being emotional." You know, I've, I hear that. I see that so much on social media. Black people trying to shut down other black people that are that are upset about certain things, and that's because they're disconnected from their own emotion, disconnected from their own humanity. Yeah, we have to shut each other down. Because we're afraid that if we feel it, we're going to be overwhelmed. Yeah, we're not yeah. going to be able to cope with the with with the overwhelming the feelings. And we have got a lot of hidden stuff that needs to come out. And I could go on about this stuff forever. Trust me, same. And and the other thing I find about social media as well is that there are other people that assume other black people that assume that black people not all black people understand or know about certain things, so they want to ram things down your throat. Yeah. And some people might not be ready for that yet or maybe not in that space for that kind of information. So I, I guess it's it's kind of interesting how the assumptions between people I mean, on, on a medium where we're not in each other's space, we're not able to read each other's energies or vibes, we're just relying on text that we're seeing on a digital screen. Do you know what I mean? It's really quite profound how that is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I hear that. This it's, it's the level of detach, another level of detachment, isn't it? Yeah, but we get so emotional about it as well at the same time, and so deeply mm. offended and angry. Do you know what I mean? It's really quite interesting seeing that manifest and unfold mm. um, over certain topics. You talk about racial sobriety. What does that mean for you? Oh, I mean, for me, racial sobriety is something that. Um, First of all, it's something that I kind of coined, started using the term a lot more when I was when I went through my own recovery mm. process. Um, and when I hit the wall around what it means to be black, to love myself as a black woman without apology, to be able to own the fact that I deserve a place on this planet, just like everybody else. I'm an equal member of the global human family on this planet. And I have the right to stand in that as a human being and not apologize for my black skin. So racial sobriety is essentially that. It's essentially, you know, having a really deep, intimate, honest relationship with my with my blackness and to be able to be honest about the vulnerability that comes with what it means to be black. Because a lot of us, you know, we can talk about the melanin magic and we can talk about the black girl magic and we can talk about, you know, the kings and queens and all of that kind of stuff. But a lot of us find it really hard to talk about what it means to be, you know, the vulnerability around what it means to be black, the fear around what it means to be black. And I think in order to embrace our humanity or for me, for me to embrace my humanity as a black woman, it's about me showing up and being, you know, sharing what it means to be vulnerable as a black woman. And, you know, the fear around, you know, being triggered by other black people and all of that kind of stuff. So I think that for me, racial sobriety is just about having that level of honesty about what it means to be a black woman, the vulnerability as well as the strengths. Yeah, um, which is amazing because I've never seen it be said that way in terms of like the title racial sobriety. It, it always sticks out to me whenever I see it, especially obviously it's coming from you when I see it in your works. Um, I think how how when you discuss racism and you know the contrast between being black and dealing with white people um and white supremacies um 
what is that like and that experience like? Because in, in the UK, any conversation about blackness and racism and pro-blackness, you know, seems to be shut down and silenced mm. and it can be conversed around a certain group of people. Even yeah. our own people will try and silence us or, you know, try kind of step back a bit when, when it starts getting a bit serious in terms of black conversation, particularly when it's in front of other white people. Mm. Yeah. I mean, my, my sort of thoughts and feelings around that stuff is um, I actually believe that racism is an addiction to power. It's an addiction to power and a lot of it is unconscious, you know. And the, the thing is, in the UK, I think it's very easy for white people to think, well, you know what, I don't go to KKK rallies. Mm. You know, I don't want black people to to be shot and all the rest of it. I'm a good liberal white person. Why would I, you know, I don't want any harm to come to black people. They don't, And I think they say that because they, you know, they think that, um, you know, racism is about being, over, you know, overtly racist. It, it means that... They think that, you know, they should be going to KKK rallies and all that, you know, but it's not white supremacy as a system, you know, the KKK people are not the people that bother me, to be honest with you, because I know what they're about. Mm. You know, it's, it, it's, the, it's the ones that are silent. Mm. You know, I've seen people, I've seen white people on social media go absolutely nuts if an animal was being harmed. If an animal is being harmed or there's a video or something on social media and white people see it, they go nuts. Or if trees are being cut down in the rainforest, they go nuts. If people, be, you know, if, if, if there's something going on with the sea, they'll rally, you know, they go nuts. But if a black person is harmed and it's on social media, white people quiet. Mm. White people quiet. And I believe that a lot of that is, 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 I think white people carry a lot of unconscious shame about it. You know, they carry a lot of unconscious shame. And so they just, they, they, they can't, they just, they don't know what to do. They're scared of getting it wrong. Um, and a lot of them just, it doesn't bother them. So they just don't deal with it, mm. you know? So they become, and they don't, those people tend to think that, well, I'm not, I'm not part of the system because I'm not saying the N word. I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. So therefore I can't be racist, but I'm not going to do anything either. Mm. you know but they're complicit as far as I'm concerned they're complicit and to be I'm going to be totally honest you know real talk I have decided you know I, I made a decision quite some time ago um, especially when I was going through doing this work because I realized that when I kept to speaking to white people about my black experience you know either I was shut down or I was abandoned my phone would stop ringing you know in in um in my recovery circles, you know, there's a lot of white people, recovery, you know, addiction recovery is very white middle class. And, you know, as part of the programs that I've done, a lot of that is, involves, you know, picking up the phone and talking to people about your feelings and talking about your addiction. Mm -hmm. That's all part of the healing process, yeah? So um, I noticed that the more I kind of talked about my black experience or wanted to talk about my black experience, my phone would stop ringing. Well, those mm. people would disappear because <clears throat> they just couldn't handle that conversation. And I learned a couple of things actually from that from that experience. Number one, I learned that um, it's just not appropriate to have those conversations with white people, as far as I'm concerned. In the same way that I wouldn't go to an alcoholic that was was committed to drinking to stop drink. I wouldn't go and tell them to stop drinking because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, that's not my business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, it's not appropriate for me to go to an alcoholic to tell them about how, ter how terrible drinking is, how their liver's going to be mashed up and all the rest of it. 
is at the end of the day, I cannot force that person to do something that they're not willing to do. And I feel the same about white people. Mm. I feel the same about white people. And I, it drives me mad sometimes when I see black people talking about, oh, white people need to be more inclusive. Mm. Why have you got so many white people on your panel for your event? Why haven't you got black? Stop begging. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and I, I just, I think that's the codependency in us. Yeah. We think we can't do it without them. We yeah. somehow need their permission. And forgive me if I sound judgmental. I, I'm just passionate about this because I just want black people to know you can do it without, without white people. Well, I mean, I have that same issue with Black British Parent, you know, running this thing here. And it's interesting the amount of Black people would say to me that I should include white people because some of them have mixed race, biracial children. I'm like, well, this is not what this is for. It's Black British Parent for parents who are Black exactly. and live in Britain. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that I'm having to... And yeah, that, that's a whole other conversation anyway in itself. But... um. The other thing is, well, I mean, personally, I had an experience talking to a white person back in the days when I felt, I mean, this, this particular white person was in a relationship with a black person. So I kind of assumed that they got kind of, you know, they had conversations and they really kind of was a bit clued up to certain things. Boy, mm. was I wrong. Boy, was they're, I wrong. No, exactly. I was and, just thinking. <laughs> and it was they're one not. of those ones where I think when talking about the black experience, this happened to be conversations that were like over the last two years, say what, in 2018 at this recording. So it might have been like 2017, 2016 kind of time. And around that time, there was an influx of videos of what was happening in the United States with people, young people being murdered, black men being murdered on mm. and being caught on camera. So whenever these conversations kind of happened, and it was it always a response from this person who happened to be white was that, well, that happens in America, that doesn't happen here, so you don't have to worry yes, about right. that. And then they would say, well, you know, don't talk about racism unless you've experienced it personally. If you haven't experienced it personally, then you don't need to speak about it. And I was just like, wow. Like, wow. like it just blew my mind okay. that they can have that kind of perspective about those kinds of things. Yet still that same person will be, like you said, if a, if a polar bear was being murdered or killed somewhere else, mm. they would be up in arms about it. So yeah, it's interesting the experience of talking in front of white people. That's why I asked, like, mm. what has that experience been? And since doing your work, talking about racial sobriety, have you had anybody um, who is not black have anything to say you or know, disagree? It's interesting because, and I'm actually really shocked by this. And, you know, touch wood, I hope this doesn't change. But I, I've had a few white people, like, tell me on the slide that they watch my live streams and whatnot. Wow. I'm, I'm by it I'm baffled by it because it's and I think I mean the, the people that have told me that they watch it they're in, they are actually in recovery as well so they mm. kind of understand where I'm coming from with it they understand it but you know I know what people watch it I know what people watch my live stream and I just I it always baffles me when they you know that they watch it but um I, I've not I've, I haven't had anyone be disrespectful I haven't That's had good. anyone. I haven't had any any white people trolling me, or and I, 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 to be honest with you, that was one of the reasons why I was scared to do this work, because I just thought, you know what, I'm going to get people being. I know black women that are activists that literally, you know, they get death threats, they get yeah. people in their inbox, you know, trolling them, 
being abused and I don't get none of that. And I, I thank my higher power, I thank God, but I don't know why I don't get it, to be honest with you, because I'm I'm kind of half expecting it. Um and I may do after this podcast. <laughs> but um Hopefully you know, not. I haven't had any I haven't had any any people trolling me, but do you know what it is as well? I think the thing is about my work is that it's clear that I'm not talking to white people. Mm. My work, I'm not. The, my work is not for them. To be honest with you, they're they're irrelevant in mm-hmm. my work. My my conversations. If I mean, obviously, you you know, we're on. You see my work on Instagram and on on whatever, and you've listened to some of my stuff. But I'm talking to black women. Yeah, and you and you do very. You get that very clearly that you're not. Yeah, I'm you're not talking. talking to white people. Yeah. <laughs> so and 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 that's intentional. And that's not to disrespect them, but like my, the conversation is, not, I'm not talking to you. The conversation is how black women can heal from addiction to self-hate with racial sobriety and personal empowerment. That, what white people think about me is none of my business. Mm. What white people think about me, and I tell these people all the time, I'm not going to heal by begging white people to stop hurting me. If I'm asking white people to stop hurting me, I'm giving away my power to white people. I'm still giving white people my power. I'm not asking them permission. You're not looking for acceptance. I say that all the time. I ain't looking for no acceptance. Let's come and meet in this group. Let's come and meet in this room and let's talk about healing. Yeah. And I make no apologies for it. No white people are allowed. I have boundaries about white people are not invited. It's not about them. It's not about them. It's about, and I think that's where they, that's where people are missing the trick. They think that they have to go and march. No disrespect to anyone that goes on marches or whatever, but this is just my own personal thing. If you're going on marches and you you, you know you're asking white people for permission to to stop being white supremacists, and you're asking them to recognize something that you're they've been refusing to, to, to recognize. recognize yeah, human. they've been doing it for five hundred years. And anybody that understands Dr. Wilson's work is going to understand why they're not going to stop. Yes. They're not going to stop. It's going to continue. So it begins from within, with us doing the healing work. Now, white people, white, I also think that white people, white people don't want, they don't come and talk to me about any of this stuff because I know my stuff. Mm. I know my stuff. And the conversation is not for them. Mm. And I just think that there's so many white people that don't understand their own power because we're broken. We don't understand our own power because we're broken. So we think that, oh, you know, if, I'm, if I ask nicely, if I march, if I go out and hold a placard up, maybe they'll see my humanity and they'll stop. And that's the thing, I don't understand that concept of trying to change somebody else's mindset just deal with your own isn't it do you know what i mean in terms of yeah getting them to accept what they're doing wrong you can't do that if they were aware of what they were doing wrong in the first place they wouldn't be they doing would it do you get what i'm saying or they stopped by now so mm. but that's what codependency is you see yeah that's what codependency is codependency is you know this whole thing around people pleasing and you just completely abandon yourself because Codependency about you is about your existence. You're only allowed to exist it, it, with the permission of somebody else. Mm. You understand? You've got no sense of self at all. 
So, so you, in order for you to exist, or in order for you to feel comfortable, you have to, you have to have the approval of somebody else okay, in order for, for you to exist and feel yeah. comfortable. And because black people have been battered for so long, and we've been unhealed for so long, that a lot of us are codependent. A lot of us are chronically codependent, which is why a lot of us are scared to to do this work because we think, oh, well, who am I without white people? <laughs> Sorry. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Who am I without white people? That's that's that. And a lot, to be honest with you, in fairness, a lot of it's unconscious. And I don't mean to laugh because it it sounds rude of me to laugh, but it's just the the concept of that thought is just so profound. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, totally get it. But that 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 is the, that is the truth of it. A lot of us are chronically codependent, and and it's about survival. We've 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 basically been in survival mode. And if you think about the you know the um I talked a lot about this in the um you know the podcast around the you know the black women being afraid of uh, you know other black women healing with other black women. Mm. I talked about the slave mask. You know the the the, the um, what's his name Thomas Thistlewood, and all the trauma and stuff around that. You know a mm. lot of us have are codependent because our history was about behaving a certain way otherwise we could be killed mm. and when you've got that level of fear of course you're going to do you're going to do what you know you're going to adapt quickly because your 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 unconscious survival is going to kick in i'm not going to do this or that i'm not going to say this or that because white mass is going to get upset and it's going to kill me and that's that's been perpetuated through history. I mean, that happened during the seventies with the Black Panther movement. It's happened it's the same. with with Malcolm X and all of our Martin They killed everybody. And even how they treated Nelson Mandela. And obviously, further on now, we're looking at what's happening with the young people around us. They they're trying to, you know, keep that fear mm. embedded in us. Same thing. That's and that's how that's how we're being controlled oh. through fear. And even what is it? There's got this thing now. What was it that um, was it FBI said something about? Was it something extremist? They're calling us yeah, black extremists. Black extremists. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> but it's the same shit. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing, and that level of oppression, that level of fear, is going to keep people silent. It's and the thing is, again. Silent. I keep laughing, and I don't mean to laugh, but that, I hear, that was... I hear what you're doing there. I hear, I hear you. <laughs> but <laughs> it, then, it is funny, in a way. But the reality is, is that in America, there was a guy that was sent to prison, and he lost everything as a result of that. That yeah. black identity extremist, extremism that they've slapped on his, his whole work that he's been doing, which has been about empowering black people yeah. in his own community. So mm. they've yeah. really gone so far with it. What is your perception or your understanding of what racism is? How can you describe what racism actually is? Because I think people have different perceptions of that that word. But I'm very much of the understanding. Um, I mean, I, I love, uh, you know, Dr. Wilson's work, um, Neely Fuller's work, and I'm very much of the understanding that racism is a system. Mm. racism is a system yes there were and i think there were there were just different layers to it you know there's the um there's the you know the obvious over racism which is people walking around you know the kkk people um you know there's that the police that are obviously you know acting out their own stuff um with black people or non-white people so there's that element of it there's also um 
the racism which is more unconscious, which is institutionalized, you know, which is the way that, like what we were speaking about before as an example, like the therapists and stuff, you know, black therapists training in white institutions. Mm. And so that's a lot more insidious. That's a lot more insidious. Um, and then there's the internalized racism where obviously I know that black people can't be racist because obviously we are the victims of racism, but um, it's just another layer of how the system operates, how we end up perpetuating or enabling the system through our own fear, through our own, um, you know, our own unhealed stuff, um, our inability to speak up because this is, these are all, this is not out and out racism because obviously we can't be racist towards ourselves but this is how we enable it, if that mm. makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does, it does. And I was so, going to say, do we have yeah. the KKK over here? We don't. It's the, it's the um, what do they call them? The far, what do they call the them? far right. The far National right. Front. National yeah, Front, over here. over here. it's National Front, yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, Same of thing. course, of course. But you know, like, there's people who seem like the exact, because we don't have people in hoods over here. <laughs> do you know, mm. we just have people in skinheads and crap stock mines or something. I don't, know. I don't know if they even still wear that now. Um, yeah. I was going to say as well, um, we were talking about black people can't be racist. What are your views on this, this, the concept of reverse racism? Do you know what? I'm not even... <laughs> You're not going to go there. Okay. You don't have to go there if you don't want to. I, I will <laughs> go there. I'm going to say it. And I'm, it's going to be, it's very simple for me. It's BS. Right? <laughs> reverse racism is BS. And it's, it's, an, it, it's just, a, it's gaslighting. Right, anybody that's there's a therapist gaslighting. It's white people's attempt to try and shame black people for speaking up about what's really going on. That's what reverse racism is. There is no such thing as reverse racism. Reverse racism is white people saying, "Hey, stop talking the truth about us oppressing you." That's what that is. It's 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 a covert way for white people to try and it's a silencing tactic. It's nonsense. And it's, it's, it's just untrue. So if anybody tells you that it's reverse racism, they're actually closet racists. Mm. Simple. Okay, Simple. That, was, that was very short and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I um, laughed. This is going to be done in about 30 seconds. That's this week's episode of the Black British Parent Podcast. Be sure to go to blackbritishparent.co.uk to join the conversation. Thanks for listening. Until the next time.